Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be back with you this morning. So it was, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe, uh, whenever dogwoods decide to bloom. I'm not a tree person, really. But uh, they bloom eventually in the spring at some point. And it was a couple months ago that Kay's Wallen informed us that the dogwoods were blooming really beautifully down by her house. And I did marry a tree person. And so I thought, hey, that'd be great. You know, we both had some time. We could just take a little trip down to see the dogwoods and visit Kay while we're down there. And she lives down in the Grand Lake area. So this woman, I'm going to put you on the spot, drives like an hour and a half every Sunday morning to join us. And I just love that. It is a a testament to me just to see her smiling. She brings joy to my life. But so we thought what we would do is we would go down and visit her. And with it being such a distance, I drive a 2007 Nissan Titan that gets like 12 miles to the gallon. And Heather has a 2016 Toyota Camry hybrid. We're fancy. We have reached the newer, whatever you call these, technology. And so we decided that we would take her car. So it's got all the bells and whistles, GPS in the car. So we punched in her address and we did not yet. You can't ruin it, <laughs> but we, we punched in her address and sorry, Jeff, but, uh, threw me off. Uh, <laughs> punched in her address, and we, we decided to start cruising down to Grand Lake, and we get down there, and the GPS is telling us, and then it says to turn right, and we're like four miles away, so we turn right, paved road, and then we're told to turn left, and like we're like two miles away from our house or so, and we look left, and it's this road that goes down and up, and it's like gravelly and everything, and I thought to myself, that is a weird spot for Kay Wallen to live. I don't get it. But the GPS says to go that way. So we turn and we follow the GPS and then we reach this fork in the road and the GPS says to go left. And if we go left, it gets even worse. It now looks like something you would take a Jeep down or an ATV or a four-wheeler, not a citified Toyota Camry. And so it's like, there's no way we're going left. We're going right. The road more traveled, not like Robert Frost. We're going the road more traveled. So we turn right and we get cruising down that way. And the GPS is saying like, where in the world are you? Redirect. And finally we get back on a road and we follow it. And then this road, now you can show it, Jeff. This road becomes what became that ATV off-road. This is just the glimpse of it. It is ungroomed, unpaved, un-anything except for driven on and treaded on by wild beasts. And so we are cruising down this road. And I mean, we're going like over like logs. We're going like through little ravines, up steep hills, like getting all cambered and everything. The whole time I'm loving it. But then I realized this is not my vehicle. This is my wife's car. And she's not loving it because she's like, what is going to happen? And so the adventurous person in me is loving it. The husband in me is dreading for my life right now. And so we keep cruising. And then we come to this spot where we finally decide to stop. Because this whole time, the GPS is saying, you're on the right track. And so we're following this, and then we come to this spot where the road goes down and curves around to the right. If it were just that, I'd say, let's go for it. But in the middle was this washout that was about three or four feet deep. And so to go over that, we would have had to balance both tires and have that ravine in the middle of us. And there was a part of me, again, that thought, we can do this. This Toyota hybrid is off-road, on-road, not electric gas. They had the hybrid part wrong. My better half 
and more knowledgeable side of me said, "Uh uh-uh, we're not doing that. Like, we should turn around. Something's wrong here. And I just got to thinking, like, what would have happened? Like, I even got out, walked 50 yards, and looked, and it was the same thing all the way down. And it was like, what would have happened if we followed that? We would have had an amazing story to tell, I tell you that. But we may never have come back. Like, Kurt, you might have been preaching or Dale. We'd be looking for a full-time position. And I tell you that story because, one, I love it. it. It was so fun. We made memories. The car's unscathed. But I also tell you that story because I believe there are so many people in this world that are following what we did. They're following the GPS of the world it's like, hey, we're, we're going on this route. Yeah, society's saying that this is good and we should go this way. Hey, TV, celebrities, all of them are saying this is the way to go. Hey, my own natural desires are telling me this is what I should do. And I'm following the GPS. And it's leading us to destruction. So many people, honestly, even Christians, are so guilty of this. That we are following this path that if we stay on it, is going to lead to destruction. And Isaac Newton, he came up with the three laws of uh, motion. And his first law of motion says that an object in motion will stay in motion unless it is acted upon by an outside force. So if I throw a baseball in outer space where there's no gravity, that baseball is going to fly until it collides with something else. Human beings are the same way. That we are going to stay on this motion or this path that we are on until something intervenes. I mean, we are all, we can probably have story upon story of, yeah, I, I kept living this way, I kept acting this way, and then something came in. There was an intervention in my life that helped turn me around. And so what we're going to look at today as we're wrapping up our series on Evangelion is we're going to be looking at exactly this. How we as human beings were headed in this direction and then there was this greater force that intervened in our lives and set set us on a new path. So we're looking at John 3.16, the final section of this passage, and we're going to be looking at our old direction, our old destination. We're going to look at what is that force that intervened in our lives and set us on a new path, and then we're going to look at what that new path is. And so John 3.16, it simply says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him, here's our part today, shall not perish but have eternal life. If you join me, we're going to open up in a word of prayer before we go any further. Father God, we need you this morning. God, we need you every moment of our life. But God, I believe that you have a message for this world. And God, I pray that you use me to deliver that message. And God, just help me be out of the way so that your word can clearly be heard. God, let it all be for your glory. So I just pray, open our hearts so that we can hear the word that you have to say to us today. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So through this whole series, I have been loving this series, by the way. But through this whole series, we've been kind of looking at this one key theme. It's all about God. Everything that happened is because of God. That's what we started out with. For God. 
for no other reason other than because of who God is, everything else fell in place. For God so loved the world because God is love. And so, but through all of this, I feel like we need to kind of get this understanding that you've probably heard before. A lot of you have John 3.16 memorized. I mean, it's the most popular verse in the world probably. But again, I don't want us just to know John 3.16. I want us to truly experience it. And in order to truly experience John 3.16, I think we have to understand why John 3.16 had to happen. Why is it for God so loved the world that he gave his only son? Okay, he did that. Great. Why? And it says in John three sixteen in the part that we're looking at today, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. In order for there to be a shall not, it means there has to be a but they were. So for there to be a we shall not perish means that we were naturally heading in this direction of perishing. We had a one-way ticket to hell and we were not getting out no matter how hard we tried, no matter what we did, we were constantly driving towards this perishing. Just like Heather and I were driving towards that cliff and we found out that Kay's house was actually at the bottom. So maybe if we went, we would have rolled into her yard. But it was just like, just as we were following that GPS that was leading us for destruction, that's what the world is doing. The world's GPS is messed up. And it is always 100% leading to destruction. And every single person is headed that way. Not just to a, hey, you're going to die. But hey, you're going to live eternity in hell. A place that God's word says is uh, the lake of fire is full of anguish and sorrow and bitterness and gnashing of teeth. And all your worst nightmares multiplied. And the thing is, you're aware of it. It's not that you're in this constant state of sleep where you just cease to exist and then nothing else. Man, God's mercy would be that we did that. But instead, the judgment is that we are eternally aware of being in this constant state of torment. I don't know if you have this fear, but it's called FOMO, fear of missing out. And I feel like, I feel like hell is a constant state of FOMO. I have FOMO. Like, for example, when I'm hanging out with people and I'm ready to go to bed, it's like, man, people are still awake. I got to be here because something might happen. I've got to be here. It is that multiplied because you will always be missing out on the presence of God. I mean, it is a constant state of being away from God. And here's the bigger thing. That's our destiny. That's the direction that every single person ever living was headed Like, we can get in the Christian mindset a lot of being in church for a long time and get to thinking, yeah, not me. And yes, we know the real reason, but we can build up the justifications of, yeah, not me because I do this. Not me because of everything that I've done. Not me because of who I am. Not me because of something about me. Paul in the book of Romans, he actually spends the first three chapters just eliminating any excuse any person wants to make as to why I should not be headed to hell on my own. 
Romans 1 chapter, or Romans chapter 1 verse 21, Paul made the comment about these are those who they knew God, but yet they rejected God and they went after their own lustful desires. They, they forsook God, the creator, and they worshiped created things instead. And so it's like there is a world out there that knows who God is and they're saying, not me. That's not for me. I'm not going that way. I'm rejecting God and everything he gives me and I'm just gonna live to, if it feels right, I'm gonna do it. If the world says it's okay, I'm gonna follow it. That's leading to destruction. And then he says, yeah, but you know, it's like you could visualize this, that Paul's writing this letter to a group of people, maybe gathered together similar to this, and you hear every believer in the group and they're like, yeah, they're going to hell and they deserve it. And then Paul's like, hold on. There's those of you who have the law. This is in Romans 2 verse 1. He's talking about those of you who have the law and yet you still break it. So even though you think, hey, I, I keep enough of the commandments. I mean, I don't break the big 10, just the little ones. And then it's like, no, like God has given us the law and we break it every single day. Like Paul actually says later on, I don't know what sin is unless I had the law because the law shows me not that I can maintain it, but that I can never achieve it on my own. And so Paul's talking to that group of, you know, religious people who think they're good enough. They're not. Every single person, when we enter these doors, leave these doors, wake up and live every minute, should live humbly. Because not a single one of us is deserving of it. Every single one of us, our direction is perishing. And then Paul goes on in Romans uh, 2 verse 17 and he talks to the Jews at that time who think, well, we're God's people. We're not going to go to hell. And Paul's like, no, like you are not truly children of Abraham. Children of Abraham are children of Abraham by the covenant of the promise. Not just because you snip some skin and you have this ethnicity, but because of who you are on the inside. You shouldn't be circumcised in the flesh. You should be circumcised in the heart. And so Paul is breaking down every single excuse that somebody might come up with. I mean, this is what he says in Romans 2.21, if you, or not Romans, Galatians 2.21, if you think you can earn your salvation on your own. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If it was possible for you to keep the law good enough, kind of like the rich young ruler, hey, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And then Jesus says, well, don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Sweet, I've done all of those. I, I can do it, God, on my own apart from you. But then it says, through the law, no one will be justified because if it were through the law, why, why would Christ have to go through that? Nobody will be justified through the law. And I believe it is so important for us to remember every single one of us that this is where we were headed. That this was our destiny. Every single person. Look at all these passages that talk about where all people were living. This is Romans 3.10, very common one. None is righteous, no, not one. 
No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together alike, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's a quote from Psalm, and it's like the psalmist is really trying to hit home the point. Yeah, but maybe it's me. No one. Yeah, but I, no, not one. Yeah, but maybe me. No, nobody is good enough. Let me hammer that in. Ephesians 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and by nature we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Like, yeah, but I'm different. No. Like the rest of mankind, you were dead, You were a child to the nature of wrath. You were just following the course of this world, following your body and your flesh. Colossians 2.13, he kind of repeats this. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Titus 3.3, for we ourselves, we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. It is like Paul is extensively trying to hammer in this point. Don't think you can do this on your own because you can't. So that's our direction. That's where we were headed. We were headed for perishing. But then my two favorite words come in because just like an object in motion is going to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force, we needed an outside force. And that is the beauty of the gospel because there was an outside force and there still is an outside force that intervened in our lives and turned us back to God. And that is Christ. Those two words that I absolutely love, but God Because Ephesians says, you were dead. You were following the course of this world. You were carrying out the passions of your flesh, your body, your mind. You were doing whatever you felt like doing. You had absolutely no hope but God. But God intervened. You were dead, but God made you alive. You had no hope, but God gave you a hope. I mean, you were all these things negative, and the only thing that turns them into a positive is but God. Why? Because he's God. Because God did everything. Because God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, we were deserving for hell, but God gave us a future and a hope. It is all because of what God did and absolutely nothing because of what we did. We could not do it on our own. Romans 3.20 tells us this. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But God justified us through the blood of Jesus. So through your own efforts, through your own work, through your own striving, you never will be able to get there. But God. I view it as a snare. I don't know if we have any trappers out in the room or not. Um, I'm a very, like, never done it before in my life. But uh, I got the vague concept. You, you plant some bait, 
And then an animal comes in and grabs it. And as it's grabbing it, it pulls really tight around their wrist. There's multiple ways to trap. That's the one I'm talking about. And so then this animal has a hold of this and it just wants out. So it flips out just jumping and fighting and trying to get away. And it's pulling and it cannot because you know the more and more it fights, that snare gets tighter and tighter. And that's what our sin does to us. That we are caught in this snare of our sin, set there by the devil, set there by our own selfish desires even. And we reach in because, oh, it's beautiful, it's shiny, it looks good. And we grab it and then we realize it has got a grip on me. And it's like, I'm just going to fight harder to get out. And the more you fight, the tighter it grabs. And it's like, no, I got to get free. And we cannot get free. You know how animals get free from a snare? They have a force outside of them come walking along and see them. And they reach down and they set them free. But here's the thing. Say I come up against like a, a crazy raccoon. And it's trapped, and I'm wanting to set it free because it's cute and cuddly and not in my dumpster, so I don't care. And so I'm reaching down to try and set it free. That raccoon is going to see me, not know what I'm up to, and it's going to show those teeth and start fighting, clawing, like, no, it's going to cower it away. You know the ultimate way that that creature gets set free? By submitting. By realizing, wait, I can't do this on my own. I need help from a force greater than me. And we are in that. We're caught and, you know, God's trying to come and it's like he's going to hurt me. I don't know what he's going to do. I, I, I don't trust you, God. And then it's ultimately, I have to submit. I have to just say, God, you know so much greater than I do. You are love. You have what is good for me. You're not here to, to take me out. You're here to help me. So the way that we get free from that snare is by, re, by submitting. By no longer resisting and just saying, God, I submit it all to you. I need you. And then God walks with us from there. And he trains us. And you know what? If I would let that raccoon out, there's going to be wounds. And I'm going to put some ointment on those wounds. And man, it's going to burn. Because healing stings. But it's for the good. So you still submit. Man, it hurts. Yeah, but it's for your good. Submit over to God. We're told that in James. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And all of this is, again, because of who God is. You were dead in your trespasses. You were following the course of this world. You were all these things. And then Ephesians 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's not through works of the law. It is, a, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then look at these. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then 2.13. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses passes by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And then First Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's all because of God. But God, because of what he did. You see, this is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. That God took our sins, that we were dying, we were dead. God took all of our sins, nailed them to the cross, and then paid us eternal life. Gave us eternal life. You see, our old direction is we're headed for hell. Christ intervened. And then, as I believe it was Colossians told us, he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's our new direction. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not only did God save us from hell, God gave us eternal life. You know, Dealing with neighbors. I have some amazing neighbors, by the way. But, and so I've not ever really been associated with this, but we all know the whole joke about, man, your neighbors come over, they want to borrow your power tools, and then, you know, they never return them, or they return them broken. So imagine, say you've lived that scenario out. And say somebody came over and like, I just bought a brand new, beautiful $700 table saw. And they want to come over and they want to borrow it. And they borrow it and they take it and then they try cutting down like a massive oak tree that ends up just crushing the entire thing. And it's broken. And then they come back to me and they're like, here's your table saw. And I just look at them like, what were you thinking, idiot? I would never say that, but you know, I think it. And it's like, what, like, what were you thinking? And then they're like, hey, like, I know I broke this. I can't pay for it. I borrowed it for a reason because I can't buy my own. And so let's say that I'm like, fine. You're okay. It's good. It's covered. Your, your debt is covered. You don't owe me anything. But this is usually where the human side comes in. Don't ever come ask me for something again. Don't come visit me. We're done. That cost me five weeks savings or five years savings. Let's go huge because it's that big of a deal. Lamborghini that you wrecked. It cost me that much in savings. You know what? You're good. You can go live your life. Just don't count me in it. Isn't that how we see God? Oh God, you saved me from my sin. And then we see God as being like, yeah, I did. Now get lost. You can have this life on earth. I'll give you a little cubby hole in heaven, but don't come asking me for anything. Don't come to me when you break something or when you're hurting or you know what? Stay away. We view God as that. Yeah, he saved me from hell, but he wants nothing to do with me. And that is the furthest from the truth. 
Because God not only says, I don't want, not only do I want something to do with you, I want all of you. Come, live with me. Join me in heaven. Not only do I want to spend a couple minutes with you, I want to spend eternity with you. I love you that much. Your sins are forgiven, and I'm going to give you eternal life, not just in heaven, eternal life with me. I want to be there with you. I want to spend every day with you. Your debt is forgiven. Don't cower away from me because I am the good father. And I love you. And I want you to come to me. Even when you wreck my Lamborghini again, come to me and let me heal you. Let me talk to you and comfort you. As uh, Zechariah, Zephaniah 3.17 says, he wants to save us. And then not only does he want to save us, he wants to comfort us. He wants to sing to us. He wants to rejoice over us. He wants to be a part of your life. That is who God is. And so if you're walking around with this mindset of God wants nothing to do with me, I have eternal life, but God's not happy I'm there, stop lying to yourself. God is overjoyed. Jesus spends what we have a whole chapter in Luke talking about how overjoyed God is. He gives a parable of a woman who lost a coin, and when she found it, she threw a big party she was so excited that she found her lost coin. He gave a parable of 99 sheep that stayed and one sheep that got lost. And he left the 99 seeking the one. And when it came back, he said, there is more rejoicing in heaven over that one that returned than the 99 who stayed. He gave a parable of a prodigal son who actually said, dad, I wish you were dead. Just go ahead. Give me my inheritance. You're as good as dead to me. He went off, squandered everything. And as he was coming back, he was expecting to address God like that. He was expecting to come to his father and be like, Father, I have sinned against you. Let me just, you know, be with your servants. Let me be down here. And before he could even get it out, the father ran to him, looking for him, sees him, sprints. Men don't do that. Sprints to him and hugs him and says, slaughter the big cow. Let's make the best meal ever. We're gonna rejoice. I'm so happy my son has returned. Those three parables should tell you how excited God is is when you come back to him. He loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his only son, not just so that you can have a good life on this earth, but that you can have an eternal life spent with him. And here's the thing, that eternal life starts now. John 17, 3, Jesus is in his high priestly prayer, and he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus wants relationship with you. And I'll tell you, I believe this is the greatest part of heaven. I think, yeah, heaven's going to be awesome. We're going to do like the teleportation. We're going to get a like float on clouds and just think of an amazing steak and eat it. And it's all going to be so good. And whatever you think, it's going to be far better. But it's not the things that make heaven so great. It is that we will get to be in the unadulterated presence, not because God adulterated, we adulterated. We will get to be in the unadulterated presence of God. Paul tells us, yeah, these things that we see only in part soon, we will see in whole. We're going to get to see God for all that he is, and it is going to be the greatest thing. Like even if heaven is just playing a harp, standing in the presence of God, man, we're going to be rocking out far better than any concert you've ever been to. It is going to be so amazing. But it starts now. Because 
Jesus in his prayer said, it's not whenever they die that they have eternal life. No, eternal life is this. That they can know the God who loved them so much that he gave his only son for them. That's what eternal life is. I mean, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting your trespasses against you and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Here's the gospel message. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel that we are so undeserving of it. But God did everything and said, if you believe in me, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you will be saved. And then you will have this relationship with God and you will truly get to experience the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know what? I hope you've been hearing this and you're like, yeah, I know that. I hope this is not adding knowledge. I hope this is adding relationship. I hope you're letting it sink to your heart of how much God loves you. That we were bound for hell and then God intervened and gave us new life in him. That's how much God loves us. God so loved the world. I'm going to read it again. That the God of the universe created everything, knowing that we were going to fail and fall short time and time again. That God so loved you that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you won't perish but you will have eternal life. And then John 17, 3 said, this is what eternal life is. Yeah, you get eternity after this life, but you get eternity with God starting here and now. Relationship with him. It is so worth it. But the thing is, there are people who are still on this old path. Maybe there's people in this room yeah, I'm living to the desires of my heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm following the course of this world. I have it punched in GPS, follow the ways of the world, and it is leading to destruction, and it always will. Until you submit. Totally surrender. And the problem with submitting is, is we want to go right back. It's like, hey, God, I submitted like 10 seconds today. All right, I'm going to run back to this thing. Hey, God, no. God wants you to submit everything. I lay it all out before you, God. Take my heart, make it yours. We totally, wholeheartedly surrender over to God and he gives us eternal life. If you're living that life that you're like, man, yeah, I'm following this path. Eternity starts here for you. If you're willing to confess and believe that Jesus is Lord and then live your life for him. He wants to give you, as John 10, 10 says, the thief is the one that's gonna come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that you may have life and life abundantly. If you are not living in that life, man, it's FOMO for eternity. It's that fear of missing out. 
you are missing out on the greatest thing ever. I mean, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, he said, we implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. That's my prayer today. If you are not right with God, he's paved the way. It's up to you to just surrender and submit to him and be reconciled to him because he's done it all. All you have to do, as John 3.16 says, is believe. Father God, you are so good and we thank you so much. God, you've done it all. You saved broken sinners like me. And God, you continue to set us on a path of walking with you. And even when we fall short, God, you're there to give us grace. And thank you so much for that grace. But God, there's people in this room, in our communities, who don't know who you are. And they are on that one-way track to hell. And God, even though you are the only one that can save them, you are the one that intervenes, you have entrusted the message to us. And so if there be anybody who is not walking with you, God, work in their hearts, but also give us your message of reconciliation to go to a hurting and broken world. So God, you're at work. I trust that you're at work. Just do your will and let us be obedient. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.